0: I went into my doctor's office, and I'm waiting for him. And he's always on time. But this time, hes I can see him. He's rushing around in the back, and he's over a half hour late. And now it's going over 45 minutes late. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? This is not like him. And he doesn't look like the cool, calm doctor that I'm used to seeing. He's usually very warm and affable. And so I catch his eye. He sees me. And uh, very abruptly, he says, Listen, I'm trying to get my parents out of Florida. I've got to take care of this before anything else. I've got to get them on a plane, and everybody is trying to get out of Florida. That was during the hurricane. Now, how do you deal with the aftermath of a hurricane, or a tornado, or a fire, or maybe a layoff at work? It's not something that many of us give thought to in our everyday life, but there are professionals who make it a lifetime career. With me today is Dr. James Campbell, who is the Rhode Island Coordinator for the American Psychological Association and the American Red Cross Disaster Response Network. And he's a frequent consultant to corporations regarding crisis response and threat of violence. He's the director of the University of Rhode Island Counseling Center, and he teaches courses in traumatic stress and workplace violence, and he's even written a book, Hostage Terror and Triumph. Welcome to the show Dr. Campbell.
1: Oh, Thank you very much.
0: It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Give me a brief overview of what you do. You know I talked about my doctor being in a crisis because he's afraid for his parents. They're elderly, they're in Florida, they've just been through hurricane after hurricane. That was that season where there were multiple hurricanes. Help me understand what you do as a disaster expert and how you deal with these type of situations.
1: Okay. The particular role I assume would uh, frequently depend upon the context. Things occurring at the university, for instance, I would typically be the lead mental health person uh, on the scene and the uh, decision maker in terms of, you know, what are we doing to establish services for students or faculty and staff or family members or those kinds of things. If I'm responding at a national disaster with the American Red Cross, then basically uh, do as assigned and try to respond uh, as needed. Uh, In those kinds of crises, it's usually uh, people need uh, to be pretty flexible. You could be working with a a distraught person who's lost their home one minute, you could be helping in a shelter childcare area another minute, and the role is really to be flexible and respond to the needs as they arise. In corporate environments role is partly to provide direct service and partly to consult with management about how to support their uh, employees and make plans going forward, when do they reopen or when do they have employees back and what do they say and, and you know all those kinds of things. So it's um, fairly varied depending upon the context.
0: So the type of crisis, they vary from either natural crises such as a hurricane or a tornado or a flood or a tsunami to man-made ones, things that are either accidents, car accident, to problems at the university. What type of problems? You mentioned problems with students. What type might cause a big crisis on campus?
1: Oh, um, Things certainly involving a death or serious injury of a a student. uh, So,
0: if a student suicided, uh, that would be.
1: Suicide or accident or sudden natural death. All those things can.
0: So, if they aren't playing soccer or something Mm -hmm. and they just have a heart attack or an asthma attack that kills them. And what are the range of responses that you see immediately after, say, something like that happens? The kid's on the soccer field doing fine. Everyone's happy, and suddenly the kid is gasping for breath. And it's a normal asthma attack, everyone thinks. And the next thing you know, the kid is dead. Mm -hmm. The child has a heart attack. If you were on the scene there, what would you do?
1: Well, uh, of course, the the first thing to attend to is the medical needs um, and making sure that appropriate police, fire, rescue, whatever that might uh, entail. But in focusing mostly on the social mental health issues, you would see a range of responses generally, and it varies quite a bit depending upon the population that's affected and on the nature of the event. But there will be some people responding quietly, more stoically. There will be people in shock and unable to act for a time. There will be uh, sometimes people who are responding very, um, in a very agitated way, even yelling or screaming or crying or things like that. And so it can vary quite a bit. And what you try to do is bring a bit of order and safety to the scene. If there's, say, um, the incident that involves something that's pretty grisly, you don't want people to be exposed to that. Any so a car
0: accident where people or nine eleven,
1: Yeah. Right, or, you know, a violent event or or things of that nature. Try to protect people. We know that post-traumatic symptoms are related to the degree of exposure to sights and sounds and so forth that cause um, disruption. So try to protect people to some degree. Find uh, a place that's um, safe and comfortable for them to be. They may need to be around for police interviews or other things or to get cleared medically, depending upon what's happened but it's, um, it, it's about trying to bring some order, structure, and support. People in, in shock sometimes need some gentle guidance. Uh, so what
0: are some things you might say?
1: Oh, again, depending on the incident, you might say, you know, we can wait over here. And is there anything that you need? Do you wish to make a phone call? Usually focusing on immediate and concrete needs. People usually want to call a a family member or a friend and be in touch, let them know that they're okay. So to
0: connect with their world.
1: Exactly. Um, Sometimes they, I don't know, if it's in the middle of the winter, they just may need something warm to wear or a warm place to stay. They need the, the eyeglasses or water, you know, those kinds of things. Sometimes I call it psychological first aid. Uh, and just like medical first aid, you don't need to be uh, a licensed professional to provide it. It's a lot of basic common sense.
0: So types. many people just do that naturally.
1: Yeah, and yet if you're not a bit prepared, you're not sure what to do. Providers yeah. not necessarily sure what to do. Mental health providers don't get training in how to respond in the first minutes or first hours after a traumatic event. Mm -hmm. The training's more, you know, okay, they come in the next day or a couple weeks later, and they're upset. You know, right, you see like, them
0: in your office, and you, but yeah. you're not on the scene with them. So that's what's so unique about what you do and what you've made a lifetime career of. This is Dr. James Campbell, who's the Rhode Island Coordinator for the American Psychological Association and American Red Cross Disaster Response Network. You do this as a living. Could you just name some of the factors that impact how a person reacts?
1: How a person reacts? Well, there would be related to... The way they've reacted to other challenging or traumatic events, it would be related to the intensity of the event, what has happened and how close both uh, physically and psychologically they feel to the...
0: uh, Like 9-11, if you didn't have somebody that died in it, it's different than if you know several people who were your family members who died in the 9-11 disaster.
1: Or also if you used to work there and you feel psychologically connected. Right. We have a
0: friend who was trapped in the elevator during the first attack. Uh-huh. So that yeah. was quite traumatic.
1: Yeah. Those so, kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, even if you're physically distant, but psychologically very connected, it can be uh, very, hard. very hard. Yes.
0: Yeah. Listen, I want to thank you so much for joining us today, and I hope we can continue this and talk about psychological first aid on another show. Okay. And it's, it's not a bad idea to ask yourself... Ah uh, how would i act in a crisis how have i acted in a crisis and what would I do in the event of, and then fill in the blank. It might be a blizzard. It might be a disaster, a car accident. But if you at least in your own mind think, well, stay calm. Just see what I need. How can I give myself some comfort or how can I give others comfort? Do people need to, more information? Ask yourself, how prepared am I to deal with a crisis in my life? And um, give yourself just some gentle guidance and it may help you when you need it. I'm Dr. Ellen Kenner on The Rational Basis of Happiness. DrKenner.com is my website. Be back next week.
1: Here's an excerpt from The Selfish Path to Romance, the serious romance guidebook by clinical psychologist
0: Dr. Ellen Kenner and co-author Dr. Edwin Locke. Wanting appreciation for your good qualities and actions, which we call wanting visibility, is the opposite of wanting approval to eliminate your self-doubts. The essence of love is not filling a self-esteem void, but valuing genuine good traits in one another. Parents can greatly harm a child by acting irrationally and convincing the child that whatever goes wrong is the child's fault. Parents can also instill self-doubt and anxiety by not showing love and concern for their child. Some poorly treated children spend their lives trying to undo the damage by getting others to parent them, often their partners. This does not work. You need to learn to value yourself, perhaps with professional help. You can download Chapter 1 for free by going to drkenner.com. And you can buy the book at Amazon.com.